and they were looking for national advisors at the Royal College of Psychiatrists for their National Collaboration Centre for Mental Health. And basically what that means, I use my experience uh, of working in mental health services and actually being a patient in mental health services. Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast. I'm your host Andrea Splendori and this week my guest is Mick Finnegan. Mick's story has been well documented in various newspaper articles, both in Ireland and in the UK. He has also appeared twice on the Charlotte Regan's podcast, An Irishman Abroad. Mick has written a few articles for Lost for Life, talking openly about his struggles with mental health and attempted suicides. I wanted to catch up with him now that he's back living in his native city of Dublin and study at Trinity College. He's a remarkable man and he's putting his life experience to good use to help others. You can find more episodes on socialfabric.ie, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Only a few seconds of the music choice are played for rights reason. You can find all the songs on Social Fabric playlist on Spotify. The program is also broadcast weekly on Dublin's Near FM 90.3. Please share, download and review. It's the only way independent podcasts like this have a chance to survive. If you want to get in touch with the program, please email me at info at And just a quick note to say that there are still tickets available for the first live podcast in the Whale Theatre in Greystones. I'll be discussing cis women with a great group of guests, including Susan Steele, Ruth Fitzmaurice, the Happy Pair Twins, Dean Newell, and perhaps one or two more to be announced. Tickets are available on the whaletheatre.ie website, or follow the link on Social Fabric Instagram or Twitter page. Much appreciated, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Can I call you up a while it's on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days, and we could talk a while. Sit and talk a while. Say something so so I can see if I can pick you up. Hello. My name is Michael Finnegan. That's it. Sounds How's it good. going? <laughs> Are we sorted? We're sorted. We get going. Yeah. We get going. So we need to go for a couple of pints afterwards. No worries, man. You drink, I hope. I do, yeah. Come here. <laughs> I drink. I drink. I was, um, I was actually out last night with the... Um, he's the head of, I think, neuroscience for Trinity College. No, brilliant. And when, before I moved back to Dublin, I met him on the train. And we were just chatting away. He never told me what he did. I didn't tell him what I was doing. And he says, oh, yeah, I'm the uh, professor of neuroscience and Dr. Mark. And we were like, so we were in, uh, where is it, Jack Ryan's? Right. Is it Jack Ryan's over in Queen Street? John Ryan's? I don't know. Frank Ryan's? Frank Ryan's. Right. That sounds better. And we're sitting there drinking, and there's two artists, people he knows. And then, do you know a fella called Ernie O'Malley? From the, He was like one of the leaders in the 1916. Okay. His son, who like basically... Grew up in America, was sitting opposite, and they're all chatting away. I had a clue who any of them were, Brilliant. but they're all like eminent kind of like academic artists and stuff like that. And there's me, and they're all like, "Do you know him?" But having a clue. But that's the thing. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> we're we're all the same. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter how many degrees and stuff. I just met a friend of mine. He's a professor here. He's on a sabbatical at the moment. He's a professor of uh, of uh, whatever engineering you know oh, wow. lovely lovely bloke young fella 45 is emeritus professor here so he must he must know his stuff he's in Rathers already yeah at 45 yeah they don't only give you that when you're like i know no 90. he's just he's just brilliant you know but 
You meet him, he's the nicest <coughs> guy you ever meet. Yeah. Normal bloke, loves his pints, loves his chat, loves his running. You know, normal mm. guy. So I think uh, coming from where I come from, from Italy, where everybody you have to go professor, doctor, you know. Yeah. Like, not, I'm not interested in that. They are a bit like that here. Yeah, I know, I'm sure they are. Because if you go, so say your man's Paddy Pendergast or whoever, professor, or whatever. Like if you went, Waka, what's the answer to that question? Or come here and give us a, it's very kind of, it's like not on my course, because my course is quite, you know, basic and it's kind of getting you ready for your undergraduate degree. Uh, yeah. But, you know, some of them do insist on being called professor this, professor that, you know. Well, I'll tell you where we start then, Mick, Mick Finnegan. I think we'd like to start from Trinity, because we are in Trinity. And uh, I'm just curious, first of all, what are you doing here? Are you studying, obviously? What are you studying? Tell me a bit about it. Yeah, what are you studying? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the Trinity Access Programme. I don't have an academic background. We spent pretty much the last 16 years kind of working uh, in health and social care. And I, th- I decided that it was time to kind of get an academic qualification to mm-hmm. reinforce me, me knowledge, skills and practice uh, and to underpin all of that. So... By training to be a social worker or a mental health nurse, um, I'll be able to kind of make more of a difference in the lives of the people that I work with. Because uh, I'm quite passionate about making a difference uh, mm. and sharing my own experiences, you know, um, of me- mental ill health to mm. encourage people to access services because it doesn't matter what you're going through, we've all got a mental health. Mm. Um, and the same way we look after our physical health should be the same attitude and responses we should have with our mental health. But we're blokes, yeah. So we don't talk about how no, we feel. Like that, yeah. We generally go, oh, oh, fuck that! I'm not going to talk about anything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, it's no, very no, kind exactly of like, mean, yeah. yeah. So no one talks about how they feel, yeah. and, and it's probably one of the reasons why it's the biggest uh, killer of men under forty in the in the UK. Um, like suicide. Suicide. Yeah, it's the biggest killer of men under forty. Oh. In fact, um, North and West Belfast has the highest rate of suicide completion in the UK. Wow. You know. And so the course here, uh, what's it like being back in school? Like, oh, I know we're in college, but... Yeah, but it's, it's weird, like, you know, you're walking through a building, you're walking through a campus that's been here since the 1500s. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, it's, 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 it's hard, it's intense, it's, uh, but it's setting you up, mm-hmm. you know, so that when you go on to your undergraduate course, it gives you the skills needed to complete that course so then you're not you're not being set up to fail okay you know what I mean because a lot of the students are the mature students that are on the course with me they haven't been in school since they did their junior cert or are leaving cert back mm. in the you know the 90s or the 80s or the 70s like one of the guys I'm in class with he's 75 really? you know and he's a bit of a legend you know and was you know he was a paratrooper in the in the British army he then you know, goes on, joins the fire brigade in Dublin, and, and he, you know, the bloke's been like, he's just so active and so inspirational. You know, and I see him running around and doing his assignments, and it kind of inspires me to kind of like, hey, Mick, if the owl can do it, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You can do it. And so, just to, just to get my head around, because I, I love the idea of studying, and, and I always wonder about one day I might go back to it. But so you do this, is, and as soon as you finish this, is it one year course? One year course, and yeah. And then you can pick your undergraduate course, whatever it's that may be. Well, you, it's a facilitated okay. entry, yeah. So the, the whole idea for Trinity Access Program is to kind of, it's designed to kind of 
give people from socioeconomically deprived areas mm-hmm. an opportunity to go on and uh, study mm-hmm. in um, Trinity College because you don't get that opportunity. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, when you're growing up in the flats in Crumlin and yeah, yeah. you know, you're running around the streets, your career guidance counselor doesn't say, Do you know what, you can go to Trinity College. <laughs> You know, when half your family's been to Mount Joy, you know what I mean. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, yeah. There, there isn't that kind of aspirational kind of, um, uh, you know, people there to kind of encourage you or push you in that direction. Yeah. Because I believe anyone can study at tour level, but they need to be given the opportunity and the skills, and that's what Trinity, the Trinity Access Program is all about. You know, it's giving people uh, the opportunity. Great. And is it uh, full time, right? Full time, yeah, Monday yeah. or Friday. Brilliant. And it's it's, it's hard work. It's hardcore, yeah. Like because yeah. you come from like I was sitting there in a maths grind because I'm rubbish at maths. Like I'm literally, like, yeah, yeah. Maths is my worst subject, and I'll be sitting in a maths grind, and the maths teacher is deadly, you know, David, class man, brilliant, and uh, you go over then to there's a maths building. You're sitting there with these like twenty year olds, and they're like, yeah, I'm studying pure maths. <laughs> And I'm like, if you're studying pure maths, what am I studying? Imaginary maths? Do you know what I mean? You kind of think to yourself, like, what I'm doing isn't, like, yeah. real. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, that's what I'm asking. Is I'm only, I only do some of the homework with my kids occasionally, if I used to. And even at that, it's just so hard to get my head around. Yeah. Know, because it's been so long since I did any studying, you know. And that's brilliant. Well, look, let's start with uh, the songs you gave me. The first one you gave me is um, Ben Folds, The Luckiest. Why did you pick that one? Um, because I think I'm very lucky. <laughs> um, I think I've just despite the, the 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 background and the hardship and the trauma that I've experienced over the years, I still kind of count myself very lucky to be alive and studying at Trinity College Dublin. I don't get many things right the first time. In fact. That a lot. Now I know all the wrong turns and stumbles and falls brought me here. The way I came about you, I was listening to the podcast you did with Charlotte Regan, and you did two of them, um, and it you know, it was a really, really interesting story and I uh, recommend anybody to go and listen to it because you, you were very candid about what, what had happened at the time and it's well, well documented what you went through. And we will we'll touch on it at some points, but I want to... What it really caught my eye was, okay, well, here's a guy that's really walking the walk. Because you started working in in the area where, yeah, find yourself. You start to work in disadvantages area. You mm. start to work with people like from the wet hostels in, in Belfast to to the UK. That's That's been your working life for the last number of years, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So from the age of 20, like I worked in homeless services, you know, in Dublin. I worked with Crosscare, Peter McFerry, uh, you know, Dunleer at the community drug team. Um, you know, I was an outreach worker. Uh, housing support worker, you know, uh, doing everything from filling out, um, you know, applications for job seekers allowance to advocating on behalf of service users who are um, reoffending or, you know, struggling with addiction issues and, and, and doing kind of stuff around 
you know, harm reduction, safer injecting, naloxone education, mm. you know. So, yeah, I've been doing it for a while, yeah. And uh, have you, because you've been at it, what, nearly 20 years, on and off, which one thing, well, not, not long, you know, actually. Um, I'd say I've been out of, out of, out of Dublin 16 years yeah, so, so I've only I've only been back two weeks <laughs> so it's like new. I'm walking around like I'm a tourist like lots of the <laughs> lots of the streets have changed lots of the bu- lots of buildings are gone yeah. uh, I can't believe how big Dublin's gotten um, I love how Dublin's gotten more ethnically and culturally diverse you know all the different food and, mm. you know people and, and smells and languages I love that I just that kind of reminds me of when I was living in the East End of London, yeah, yeah. where I was like literally the only Irish fella in a predominantly Bangladeshi and Pakistani community, do you know what I mean? And yeah, it was yeah. deadly because, like, as soon as Eid or Diwali hit, man, I got like free curry and free <laughs> free naan bread and free free sweets, like, because they just knock on your door and they go Eid Mubarak, and you're like, oh, thanks, and then you pick up a bit of the lingo and you're saying Shukran or Shukriya or Dundavat, and you're just saying it's just thank you in different yeah. diff, in, in their in their tongue, and it's class but yeah no 16 years away yeah but that but that's great even though you're saying that you know you're making the effort to, to learn how to say thank you in different languages i mean that's 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 not a small thing you know that you you want to be part of something right that you always wanted to do that and you felt part of the bangladeshi society or sorry so sorry, bangladeshi group there and very much so yeah. yeah like even when i was living in south london and most of the kids and the people that were working with were from afro-caribbean communities you know, you pick up a bit of patois. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're like, <laughs> you know, you're like, "What one fat me is a bad man." You get me though, and like everyone's talking like that, and 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 you know, you kind of do it in a way where it's respectful, and they kind of appreciate that. And like, where am I? Like most of the food that I've experienced in in London, I never had before until I went there. Yeah, yeah. You know, like red snapper, hard old bread, curried goat. Some of the curries that I ate were like unreal. But what I'm curious about, where does that come from? As in you left Crumlin, you know, that's pretty much when you went into to the UK. I mean, yeah. and, and Crumlin then, probably Crumlin now, was pretty much predominantly Irish and group of people. Where, where did that want or understanding other culture and, and being part of it and being open to, to anything? Where did that come from? Um, I suppose when I was still living in Crumlin, I volunteered uh, with an organization called Habitat for Humanity. Um, one of my best mates who... Um, a lovely guy, Graham Robinson. Um, he literally just encouraged me to get involved with this um, voluntary group where we were going to Hungary, mm. and we were going to spend, you know, a few weeks out there building houses. Yeah, yeah. And I knew nothing about building houses. You know, if you wanted a conversation about drugs, I could gladly talk you through all that. Not a problem. But building houses and all that. Oh, come here. It was literally walking around like a tracksuit warrior, you know what I mean? The Air Max and the Lacoste tracksuits back in the day. And, you know, it's, uh, I had no idea. And when I went to Hungary, and I think it was, a four, it was actually the first time I was on a plane. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it was the first time I was on a plane. And I remember my friend Declan Harvey was sitting next to me on the plane. And I was, I was shitting myself. I was like holding on to the sea. Like if, that, like, if that would make a difference if that happened, like, we're all gone, you know what I mean? And he says, oh, look at that view, and I got a bit confident, because there was no turbulence. So I looked out the window, and he got my head, and he pushed it towards the window, <laughs> and I shit myself. But it was, yeah, it was my first time abroad, and I think, kind of, that experience, and, and meeting 
the families that we were working with, because they weren't, um, they were kind of uh, economic migrants that were kind of living in these rural kind of areas in 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 Hungary, and and they did, they were effectively living in like a room smaller than say you know your box your box standard box room and a flat or a house you know mm. but you'd have six or seven families mattresses on the floors you know and they're all sleeping in the yeah, room yeah. and their their main food sources are rabbits you know what i mean and that's what they were eating mm. and you're there like do i eat this because like where i'm from this is not a uh, texas fried chicken in the chroma shopping center is this cool? And you're like, yeah, grand. You get stuck into it and you just, you go along with it because you don't want to disrespect anyone. Yeah, yeah. And then they're teaching the language because they haven't got a word of English. Yeah. So the only way you can communicate with them is by learning a bit of Hungarian, you know, even if it's, how are you? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, and you go, Hujvoit. And it's like, that's how are you in Hungarian? And I still remember it. It's really weird because I can still remember how to say, how are you? In, in most of the languages in any of the kind of communities that I've lived in. You know, it's class, like. Yeah, but that that goes to show that you do that you really do care when you do something you mm. care for because you, you didn't just go there on a jolly. You went on thinking, okay, see what happens. The next thing you're involved. And yeah, we were there, like getting. And up, you have to do what you have to do. We were getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, hammering, uh, doing spacing joints in timber framed houses, like literally. When we had like <laughs> this builder was next to me. What was his name? Uh, Shandor. And he's this big, you know, your typical Eastern kind of, you look like a wrestler, you know what I mean? And he's like, easy, look, bang, one one hammer, one nail into the wood. Here's me like this. Tap, 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 tap. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, come on, you need to go fast. And I'm like, yeah, all right, calm down, yeah. Brilliant. Tell me about this song, uh, The Night We Met, Lord Huron. What's that one about? Um, it just reminds me of um, when I listened to it the first time. It reminds me of the first time I met Howard Russell when I was homeless in Dublin. You know, when I was like sleeping rough in the streets and mm-hmm. didn't have much. Um, and it just reminds me of him. You know, a, a beautiful, kind, generous man who's been the most consistent person in my life over the last seventeen. 18 years, yeah. Excuse my ignorance. Who's Howard Russell? He, Howard isn't, he is, um, he's in the Salvation Army. So he ran the Salvation Army hostel at the back of Cleary's there, Cedar House. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and he eventually got me in there and he ran, he managed it. And uh, he kind of, even now, like even when I'm in London, we still meet for a coffee or a bite nice. to eat. And, you know, and he's, He's like the director or um, the head of homeless services for the UK mm. and Ireland. Okay. So wherever there's a Salvation Army hostel or, you know, rehabilitation program or support housing project, he has overall responsibility for that. And the, the, the kindness and the encouragement he's shown me over, you know, over that period of time, it was just, you know, unbelievable. You know, even when I had a breakdown in London, <laughs> in 2009 he was the one that talked me down off the bridge I am not the only traveler who is not repaid his debt I've been searching for a trail to follow again take me back to the night we met Then that I 
Well, I think we might just have to touch a little bit on the, on that. Um, again, it's been very well documented, but how did you end up homeless? Uh, and what was that like? Because I know you, yeah. when I spoke to you last week, you were saying, oh, I've just been sick for a couple of days, and you know, going back to the... Yeah, you got a cough, yeah. you got a bad chest, going back to sleeping rough for a number of years. Mm. So give us an idea of what, what, what was that like, how you ended up there. And so it was, uh, I was in, a, I was in a, an organization um, and I was uh, a cadet in this organization, you know, and um, one of the senior officers in that organization uh, abused me. And over a number of years, that went on and then as I got older I knew that this wasn't right and wrong and I went to the police and they investigated it and the DPP decided it wasn't in the public there was no evidence and um, there wasn't a chance of a conviction because it was my ward you know okay. and I was you know from the inner city you know most of my family were either using drugs or selling drugs and were well, well known to the guards at the time, um, so there, there wasn't a lot of sympathy for for me, and I know when that happened, and all that kind of came out when the DPP said we're not going to prosecute him. Well, he was kicked out of the house and ended up sleeping rough, and because they just assumed I was a rat analyzer, hmm. do you know what I mean? And um, it was tough, you know. You you don't know what to do. You know you don't have a bed to sleep in. You try and make yourself as warm as possible, but doesn't matter where you're bedding down, you're mm. freezing. You know, there's times where I've woken up and I'm literally stuck to cardboard because it's been that cold. Um, mm. But then you've got great services that I accessed at the time, you know, Martin's Key. They used to have a, a rough sleeper service where you'd go in in the mornings. Focus Ireland, you know, you'd go in there for your, your lunch or your dinner in Temple Bar. Um, yeah, and then eventually then kind of I got off the streets and I was in homeless in and out of homeless services and, and the only way I was back sleeping rough throughout, throughout that period was if there wasn't a bed available because you rang a free phone number. Mm-hmm. I think the free phone number is still the same number. Probably still has the same music. <laughs> that pisses everyone off. Um, but you don't get, um, yeah, you know, I, think, I, don't, I imagine the homeless services have changed considerably. Um, but... You know, I you only have to walk outside the city, anywhere around the city centre, and there are, there seems to be more homeless people in Dublin, and I think we need to be doing more to support them. Because I was lucky; mm. not everybody escapes homelessness or addiction. Uh, you know, I'm lucky that I only ever struggled with my mental health and homelessness. You know, I didn't have an addiction issue, addiction issue, thankfully. You know, drugs never were an interest of mine. And how long was that period of the homelessness? Uh, years, five years, yeah. Okay. yeah. So you were a young so man. So it was rough, yeah, yeah, it was hard, yeah. Were well, you just a young man? Like yeah, pretty young man. Like, or... Yeah, like I literally remember kind of getting off the streets and, you know, getting me forced beds in. I think it was on the South Circular Road. Mm. And I thought, I've made it. <laughs> no, but you're right in saying that because I walk in here and we have quite a lot of, you see a lot of homelessness. homelessness and... Um, and interesting what you're saying because we always assume us middle class people we always assume there he is he's homeless and he's a drug addict he's a he's an alcoholic or whatever yeah. that's that's the first thing that comes to mind and but there are so many reasons why people 
end up on the cardboard box? A lot of it's trauma. I don't know what trauma that they're experiencing because I can't talk on behalf mm. of every homeless mm. person in Dublin. But there's a reason why people use drugs sure. or drink heavily. And I think it's probably because they've been hurt and they don't have the life skills to deal with that hurt. Mm. So they self-medicate. And the same way some middle-class men and women who have arguments with their partners and they're like, ah, here, I'm away, I'm down, I'm down the pub. Sure. And it's, you know what I mean? But they'll down a bottle of wine or they'll, yeah. and then that's the stigma that's attached with, mm. uh, you know, drug use or, you know, street drinkers, you know, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like them. Mm. But we're, we're all exactly the same because we're all human beings. No, absolutely, and that's when I spoke to Don Russell of Anna Leafy. That was very much the point she was making. Look, everybody's a human being, and then that human being happened to have the trauma, yeah. an addiction, you know, so to keep it safer from harm. Um, okay, so that uh, that was a rough uh, rough patch, and that then you moved on. To, you moved to London mm-hmm. after that, and you got away from there. Um, <coughs> and uh, and was that? Was that what drew drew you to work in in within mental health? Was that you know you didn't want other people to go through what you had gone through? Or um, getting into mental health was kind of like it was in, it, it wasn't initially my I'll go and study you know or I'll work in the NHS or mm-hmm. anything like that. It wasn't initially kind of. On my radar, you know, I was, you know, I was living in London. I was working with the homeless, and I was happy enough to do that. Um, and then when I had the breakdown, nobody would give me a job, like literally nobody, you know. And I was in the job centre in London. And I was coming outside, and two fellas are there asking, "Do you want to be on a TV program?" And I'm like, "No." I was like, "No," you know, not a chance. And then they said, "We'll get you a job at the end of it." Now, at the time, I didn't know who they were. Now, like, they're one Captain Wales in the rugby and one won the Rugby World Cup in mm. England, you know, mm. Scott Quinnell and Will Greenwood. Mm. They gave me the opportunity to um, play rugby. You know, I never played rugby. I never knew anything about it. All I knew about rugby was posh people played it. That was literally, mm. you know... Now you were playing football as a kid. Yeah, I was kids. playing, like, you know... Uh, soccer three, in the flats, yeah, you know, playing Wembley, football, yeah. you know what I mean? And, you know, you'd play, you'd always pick, how, how, how are you going to pick who's in goal? You go right nearest to the pole. And if you get, if you hit the pole, you're not in goal. And, and you're all there like that. And if someone misses a right fatso, you're in goal. I always ended up in goal because I was shit at football. But, um, but yeah, no, and then I ended up doing that. And uh, it was interesting, you know, learning how to play a new sport, yeah. still not really understanding the, the 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 opportunity that was in front of me. I didn't know these lads, I hadn't a clue. Mm. It wasn't until about, I think, week six of that course, because it was a 12-week program, and they filmed, the, and then it was aired on Sky Sports. Um, I think halfway through the program, I googled Will Greenwood, and then Penny drops it. Oh, fuck, he's actually... One of the guys. He's actually like a big bleeding dude, like 
I'd be calling him a dickhead all the time. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I'd be like having run-ins with him and like he'd be shouting at me, you need to run faster and you need to do this. Or, you know, you're trying to tackle Scott Cornell, which is like trying to, you know, stop a truck from, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like these are like legends of rugby and they gave up their time to help, you know, this. help people in Tottenham at the time to find that employment. You know, it was very kind of... Um, very much kind of like that, you know. It was very, you know, Tottenham was literally kind of recovering from the riots and mm-hmm. um, the London riots at the time. And, um, you know, there's such a high unemployment rate. And then they came in with this TV program and they were like, We're going to help you. And they did. Everyone got a job out of it. Good. You know? So, does Mitz, please, please, please. Um, I think that's just, that's just a general kind of, you know, almost like a prayer, isn't it? Like, let me let me get what I want, you know. And the dream one day is to have a home, you know, a wife, maybe maybe one or two kids, who knows. But the dream for me, it's not about success or, you know, anything like that. I think for me, it's more about kind of like finding that someone that I can do life with, you know. Good times for a change. See, the luck I've had can make a good man turn bad. So please, 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 let me, let me, let me, let me get what I want this time. Haven't had a, a lot of the rugby here, I know that was well documented. A couple of articles you, you wrote for the for the Lost for Life and a couple of interviews out there. So the one I, I want to kind of I want to talk more about what's happening now is you, you've done quite a lot since the last conversation you had with Jared. Like there's been quite a lot going on. I think with in your life, all very positive stuff. I think. Yeah. And that's what I want to like this doing this type of conversation. Talking for articles, you've mentioned the, the Telegraph last night, the, Pol- the Belfast Telegraph spoke mm. to you. Do you find that it's, it's helping your, I suppose, I don't know if it's the right word, the healing process? Is, is, is it helping you? Because you know what you're doing is helping people out there. There's no doubt about it. It, it certainly kind of helps me kind of deal with the stuff I've dealt with. Mm. You know, because for me, I want to norm- normalize the the language we use around mental health trauma survivors abuse whatever you know for me it's kind of you know we do have Ireland especially we have a shocking kind of approach to 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 abuse and scandals and child protection you know and um and mental health and how we deal with um um people who have mental health issues you know you go torn up to any Doctors are too, too, you know, they pro- they're probably walking 18 hours, you know. The last thing they want to do is make you a cup of tea and sit down and listen to how, how sad or how sorry you feel or how suicidal you are, you know, because that's the, they, have been, they haven't been trained the same way a mental health professional has been trained. You know, um, they have a medical model and mental health professionals, I would hope, would be trained in a kind of a biopsychosocial model of approach where they take everything into consideration and treat you, you know, with respect, with dignity, with compassion, where they go, right, how can I help? 
what can I, you know, and you meet that need, you know, because a lot of the time mental health stems from an unmet need as well, you know, the homelessness, addiction, you know, trauma, all that stuff, you know, and I, I, I wouldn't say I enjoy talking about it, but I like to think that every time I share my story or every time I give a talk or a presentation or an interview or whatever it is, someone somewhere listening to what I'm saying or reading what I'm saying can find maybe a little bit of hope in that, you know, a hope where they can reach out and, you know, drop their mum or their dad a text and say, you know what, mum, I'm struggling. I need a bit of help. Or they go to their GP and they'll say to the GP, look, I've been feeling really depressed. Or they go to the, or I've, I've been self-harming or I feel suicidal. We need to normal, we need to, normalize the language around mental health and suicide suicide isn't a dirty word but very but we're very reluctant to say it because we're like oh oh you know it makes people feel uncomfortable and the reason i talk about it so much and the reason why i'm passionate about it so much is because i don't want people to feel uncomfortable you know i want people to go and access counseling and and you know therapy the same way we all go to the pub and have a point Because talking about how you feel is the best way to deal with the issues. I know, and that's why I want to talk to you about it, because you're, you're not famous yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not famous, full stop. <laughs> no, but genuinely, because it, I, I found that um, even talking about mental health, and it's, it's almost becoming a, a bit of an industry around that, you know, all the, the things we're talking about and the mindfulness and this and the other. But I think, listen, straight from... It's, from From somebody like yourself, yeah. it's genuine. You can say, pick up that phone, send that text. To me, it, it means a lot more than going to a retreat and talking about it, you know. Yeah, and I think that's very, you know, those retreats and the mindfulness and the, you know, the stuff that you see advertised online or, you know, walking down Baggett Street or wherever, you know, it, it, they're valid approaches to people's mental health and their stability. And what might work for one person wouldn't necessarily work for me or you. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, but I would look at kind of, I'd look at how we kind of look at the language that we use, you know, because it's not fluffy. But a lot of time we hear these like, oh, success stories and someone's had uh, depression or anxiety mm-hmm. and it's big fanfare about, you know, this person and, and that's great. But we don't talk a lot about people with serious mental illness. You know, the people that are having their human rights infringed because they've been detained for 30 years in an institution against their wishes. You know, we don't have holistic approaches to mental health treatment, you know, within within frontline services because they cost too much money. Do you know what I mean? And I think we need to look at how we provide services in this country, especially, you know, we... You know, I've had no because because students do you know love the internet and Google away. I've had a couple of students come up and talk to me and share with me their concerns about their studies and and it's almost like I'm back doing the peer support stuff that That's, I was doing in the hospital in Armagh. Yeah. So it's great, you know what I mean, and it's great that people can come and talk to me. Even I've had people reach out to me on Twitter and social media and stuff like that. I know it's great, and I'm not the only one thinking about it. Obviously, as a London College of Psychiatrists, uh, put you on as an advisor for yeah, the, the, the which Royal, is fabulous. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Like um, I saw an advert on the internet 
and they were looking for national advisors at the Royal College of Psychiatrists for their National Collaboration Centre for Mental Health. And basically what that means, I use my experience uh, of working in mental health services and actually being a patient in mental health services. Uh, and I share that with the hospitals that I go and visit. And then we put a training package together and we provide that training. And that could be anything from de-escalation techniques, uh, restraint reduction. It could be around uh, peer support, you know, or developing an inpatient safety collaborative and getting patients to come on board with the with the treatment that they're being that, that are, that's being provided. And it's 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 a bit surreal. And then last week I got an email that's invited me on to be part of an expert reference group. Um, to develop a national competency framework for peer support in England with Health Education England, and it's just like yeah, but it's I'm from great. Crumlin. Do you know no, what I mean? no, 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 be. but it, but it's great because <laughs> I have nothing against the the minister, the current minister of uh, health, or the last one, the next one. But they haven't been homeless. They haven't had an issue. They haven't stood on 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 top of the bridge. You know, you have done all that. So. You have a lot more experience, you know, first-hand experience that you can yeah. put on the table and go, yeah, lads, it's all very well, but that's the truth. Lived experience is important, yeah. and I think co-production, and yeah. that's what you call it, when you're okay. when you're getting kind of, say, patients or former service users or current people that are still accessing services, I still access mental health services, mm. I have no shame in saying that, Absolutely. still meet with my psychiatrist. They'll talk about how I feel. Sure. I go and do a medical. I get my meds reviewed every few months. I get my bloods taken every month or two just to check my my levels and whatever. You know what I mean. Um, but I do think it's important that if you're going to commission a mental health service in Ireland, that it has to be co-produced because real co-production gets real results. Yeah. And and, and that's the only way you'll make a real and lasting difference to 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 the people uh you know of Ireland you know that's my own opinion but no no I know I, I don't it but there's an evidence base for that you know yeah cause and, and that's I think what everybody I spoke to I spoke to Gareth Dr Gareth uh, McGovern a couple of days ago and he's all again he, all, all of his everything he does is is evidence based he says mm. in, in in the area of mental health education it has to be evidence based everything else doesn't really work you know once you have it evidence you can create your building blocks. And it wouldn't be an area of expertise. I don't understand co-production, but I know what you're saying. Well, it just basically means where the psychiatrist, yeah. the nurse, the patient, the service user, yeah. they come together and they go, right, how would that service... Brilliant. How would that service look like? What would it look like? How would we run it? What would be the role of us? What would be the role of you? Yeah. You know, where... So there's more of a kind of... There's more of a collective leadership approach. Great. You know, and then there's compassion in the care. And um, is that happening in Ireland as well now? No, it's not. Well, I, I don't know. I'm not involved. So in, you're involved with the one in the in, UK? In the UK, yeah. it's happening. Yeah, it is happening. Where like, we can, in the UK, we hospital trust will employ experts by experience. I was one in the NHS in the north. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Working in a psychiatric intensive care unit. Hmm. You know, and, and in, in England especially, you know, they are on the same, in London, some of them are on the same salaries as consultants. Do you know what I mean? Because that they they're using their lived experience to help improve the quality of the services being provided. Brilliant. Well, hopefully it'll happen in Ireland soon enough. Uh, you might be part of that. You never know. Who knows? So, Spaceman by the Killers. Great song. Why that one? It reminds me of the the, the opening the opening uh, 
lyrics about being pulled from your bed and taking your blood reminds me about being, being like literally going through a period of mania in a psych unit in London. And I always laugh about like that. I always think I always think of my time as a patient in London when that song comes on the radio or if I'm walking around the house or wherever or even just going for a hike. You know, I'll have it on my uh, on my phone. I'm listening to the earphones. That'll come on, and then it just puts a bit of a spring in me step, and I just kind of laugh about you know being unwell, but also thankful that I came out the other side. I was listening to the radio this morning uh, while I was driving around and uh, Pat Kenny was on and he was in Manjoy, right? He was doing a, a special on Manjoy and it was really interesting to listen. Um, but the one thing he said, he said um, he was talking to one of the the police officers, or I'm not sure what it called, and uh, he was saying, you know, obviously the majority here are from a certain postal code. That's how he put it, right? You know, the majority of inmates are from pockets of areas around uh, around Dublin yeah and and I was like wow and I know I knew that but you know it really kind of didn't sit well with me the thought of and I knew I was talking to you tonight and I, and I heard I remember talking you talking about Crumlin whatever 30 odd years ago where what's happening in Crumlin today and what's ha- what used to happen there have we created have we created an area that it's hard to get away from how do we break that circle of what is addiction and and addiction brings uh, crime and crime brings you know yeah. well, how do we break that or oh, have we broken that look I can't speak on behalf of Crumlin no no I understand uh, that yeah but from your experience or the people of Crumlin Crumlin people no, no, yeah. are genuinely lovely kind mm caring people and they would literally they would if if they they would give you your last if you needed a euro and they and it was their last euro they'd give it to you but let me qualify that because i grew up in my granny's uh, my sister was sick when i was a kid so mm. i spent a lot of time with my, my grandparents and they lived in what i described the balimon of, of rome yeah it's great i had the best childhood i loved it same yeah. thing we were all we were all in for each other we yeah. all helped each other most of my kids, most of the kids I hang out with, their parents weren't there because they were in jail. Yeah. I don't know why. I was too young to know. But what we were in there, it was fantastic. It was the best. It was the flats. And it was great. Yeah. But it was created, at the time it was created <coughs> post-war by Mussolini. So it mm. basically created, for one thing, a better word, a ghetto. Yeah. Through all these impoverished families. And that out of that... There's no job. The guys start to do that, and that's the thing. It's yeah. survival. And yeah. if you don't create opportunities for people in the communities yeah. that they live in, yeah. then they're gonna find a way to live. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, I do, if yeah. you were telling me two hundred euro was enough to live on for a week in Dublin, which is one of the most expensive bits of real estate, hmm. you know what's that like six euro for a for a cup of coffee or something? Or it's like, do you know what I mean? It's like I was I was in Temple Bar with a friend of mine and. He was over visiting and uh, I showed him around. He, he loves Temple Bar. He like, thinks it's dead. And I'm like, lad, this place is literally like a middle class street robber. 
I said, he is going to shake your hand. He's going to say, thanks very much. And then before you know it, you're in, you're in, Gowgri's paying 14 quid for two points of Guinness. Robbery. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So people can't afford to live on that amount of money. And mm. if they can't afford to live on that, we need to find ways of supporting people mm. to live independently, to give them the life skills, to educate and train, mm. and give them opportunities that are, are beyond crumbling. You know, because I don't know what it's like there, and I haven't lived there in a long time. But I know when I was growing up there, mm. there wasn't a lot going on. You know, most of my mates, I'll be honest, most of them had some form of an addiction issue. Most of them were in jail. In my own family, I was the only one that didn't go to Mount Joy. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and that in itself was like a success story. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and how did that happen? I. You just I was homeless and like living on the streets and I wasn't running around in gangs. I didn't really get involved in that and I was kind of dealing with like my own stuff. So I was kind of almost like quite reclusive at times. And was it hard to not to be part of all that? Well, I was re- I couldn't be part because okay. I wasn't. I was I was rejected. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So like I think and you know people always say how come you didn't get involved in all that? And the reason why is because I was rejected. Like, okay. You know what I mean? You know, but I still get, I still see people like the other day I was walking down the road. This fella, I was standing at a bus stop, and, this, and I was literally on the Crumlin Road waiting for a bus because I was up visiting a friend of mine. And this fella pulled up in his car. Sorry, Mick, what's that story? For the life of me, I could not remember his name, mm-hmm. but he knew me. And I was like, "Oh yeah, great. How are you getting? Do you want to lift the money going down to the flat? No, I'm going away for the bus. Thanks." But I think a lot of the time the issues around criminality. And drugs stem from lack of opportunity and equality in the society that we live in. Yeah, because you mentioned as a kid there wasn't a career guidance running after you telling you what you could do with your life. You know, do you think? Well, she told me I'd end up. She 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 told me you'll amount to nothing. That's what she said. Okay, even worse. You'll amount to nothing, Finnegan. That's what she said. Yeah. In this real kind of, you know, country kind of, you know. And I was just like, sitting there thinking, I'll fucking show you. <laughs> like, I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm not accepting that. Yeah. Because obviously, if if, if, if there was a career guidance of some sort in anywhere, you know, somebody that can tell you, look, by the way, work hard, you get this, you get to do this, you get to study, you get to do whatever. But we need to invest more in new clubs. We need to have more positive male role models. Yeah. We need to have people who will encourage young people in inner city environments, not just the Crumlin, Ballymun, yeah. Finglas, Clondalk and Ballyferma. Mm. You know what I mean? You need to go into these areas, Sheriff Street, do you know what I mean? You need to go into these areas and, and almost have assertive outreach teams that are like literally going to just fill them up with positivity mm encourage them to apply to places like Trinity, UCD, UCC, you know, or an apprenticeship, you know what I mean? And give them the skills they need to live independently because they don't have it. No, they don't. And I think the fact that we can name a number of uh, quarters of the city, it's just wrong. Mm. You shouldn't be able, you know, they should be able to, everywhere is pretty much the same, but unfortunately we, we can name and yeah. I know Senator Lynn Rand, but she did a similar. Lynn, Lynn came through the same. Senator Lynn came through the access program right, as well, yeah. and, and she's, she's doing a lot of that work. And you know she's doing some great work. At, um, I noticed the other day she got a bill passed through um, right. uh, reoffenders, 
And basically, it's called, I think it's called a reoffending bill. I can't. Right. Uh, apologies, Liam. I don't know the. Yeah, no, it just came out of shock. But I know it gives people a second, a second chance. That's right. Um, you know, so when they do kind of end up in trouble, that they can have the opportunity to be re- rehabilitated right. and find that employment. Because everywhere now you need guard event. You know, I had the same problem in London when I was going for jobs after my uh, my 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 uh, breakdown in in. in in, in London, where I'd go and fill out a criminal records bureau check, CRB, it's now called a disclosure and barring service, because they had to change it because criminal was mm. too stigmatizing. So they changed it to the disclosure and barring service. But prior to that, everything about my mental health was on that CRB. Mm. He got into this standoff with the police, crazy, um, psychotic, had to be restrained, tasered, locked up put in the back of a van, kept in the cells over a weekend, was brought to this hospital, brought to that hospital, you know, um, had to be restrained by officers, refused to engage with mental health services, brought to that hospital. And li- everything, like it was like my CV, my mental health CV, every every little breakdown, every kind of time I relapsed, every time I told a social worker or a community psychiatric nurse to fuck off, it was literally like, right, the cops are here. Do you know what I mean? And that was it. You were dragged out of your house. You were like literally brought to the cells. A doctor would recommend that you go and then you get locked up in a hospital. And you're in a room, like a, effectively a room with cardboard chairs and a, and a mattress that looks like it should, you know, be in some sort of fun park because it's just a big blue squashy thing. And obviously without being given a second chance, it's only going to make the things worse. Exactly, yeah. Like, you know, I, I've never... Um, I've never been involved. I've never been involved in criminality. Um, we've never have. I don't have any serious, you know, convictions or anything mm-hmm. along those. Lines. I got a couple of public order things from from my days in Crumlin, where guards would go. I'm directing you on their section, whatever the public order act to leave the area, and we'd go. I'm directing you to go and ask me bollocks, and you'd you'd, you'd get a fucking clip around the air and then you'd spend the night in Sundrive or Kevin Street or wherever you know what I mean and it was just stupid things when you were a kid you'd go to tal- you go to court and you'd go right that's a fine and you pay it do you know what I mean yeah. that's not the wouldn't necessarily say that's the crime of the no. century or anything like that but when you're kind of growing up in that area where you have to kind of be a bit cheeky and a bit kind of mm-hmm. quick on your feet you kind of have to sometimes go along with the, the crowd <laughs> Oh, yeah, shut up. As in Stormzy, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Why Stormzy? Why shut up? Um, kind of. Do you know what? Anytime I get people saying I shouldn't be doing this or I shouldn't be doing that or, um, you know, I've worked in the NHS in the North. There was a lot of people there that were hesitant to have someone with a serious mental illness working in uh, the... Um, in yeah, the hospital, yeah. I had one. Nor- I had one uh, uh, ward sister turn around and say to me, "Sure, that's like the lunatics taking over the asylum." Wow. And I was just like, you know what? Shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's literally it. Like you know, yeah. people will always try and challenge you. They'll always, you know, you'll always have critics. You'll never, you know. But for me, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I want to still challenge the stigma i want to ensure that services are co-produced and peer support workers and experts experience are embedded in health services you know and um yeah like it's just just shut up and you don't there's no need to be like that you know what i mean because i think sometimes people are a bit precious
Yeah. You know, it's kind of like they're worried that we're going to come in and they're going to be obsolete and that's not the way it works. We need to work together as a team because that's, that's the only way we make, make a real impact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fire in the pot. Let's go. Try to be better than me. Tell my man, shut up. Shut up. Mention my name in your tweets. I rude by shut up. Shut up. Best in the scene. Tell my man, shut up. Come back, call me a backup dancer. Stage of the prince, I'm a backup dancer. If that makes me a backup dancer, I'm the man in your biz. Backup dancer. The man in your pigs. Backup dancer. Man wanna chat about backup dancer. Big man like me with a beard. I'm a big man. So you play rugby. You actually ended up loving rugby, right? Yeah, like it was. And and you got injured a couple of times, or what Yeah, I got injured a few times. I started like I played. I played rugby for some mad clubs, like like posh. Play for the Bank of England in West oh, London. What position you play? Toy head prop. I was going to say it's quite decent at it as well. Like it's not it's, to be fair, it's not that hard. You just bend over and push. <laughs> oh, but don't let don't let any like to be fellas listening to this who are proper serious scrummers just like there's more to it like that. Yeah, it's a science, it's yeah. an art, and it is a science and it is an art because when you go up against some old fella who's like sixty, and you were there, and you're like, yeah, I've got this lad. He just ends up bending you in half because he knows a bit more of got more experience but yeah no I loved it played with the Bank of England in London played with like Blackheath Rugby Club the oldest rugby club in the world ended up working with Saracens and London Irish um, worked Premiership Rugby uh, for a short time in Brazil helping uh, um, set up a rugby program over there after the Olympic Games in 2012 mm-hmm. rugby became an Olympic sport mm-hmm. and I was asked if I wanted to go over and represent Saracens and I did it was quite nice got sunburned um and uh, yeah, no, really liked Brazil. Then I came back to London, played more rugby, and uh, even ended up playing rugby in two places where I really enjoyed playing rugby. Was one was Tewkesbury Rugby Club in the west, like near Gloucester, okay. in England, and it was like you know, like it's just a, it's a really old medieval town. You know, it's got an abbey. It's been there from the eight hundreds or something. Fabulous little place, and then. My favourite place where I've played rugby was Malvern Rugby Club in Worcester. Because um, they were literally like, it was it's a little village in the Malvern Hills. Um, the crack we had, like we, we were playing teams in Birmingham all the time. And we'd drive from Malvern into Birmingham and we played Mosley. I remember one time we we played Mosley, who are like this big, big rugby club. They're like, you know, they've been around for over 100 years or whatever like that. Um, some players that played at Mosley would have been... Um, they would have like played for England and all that, you know, um, in the past. And we turned up, and one of the lads who was responsible for the for the kit, um, Sam Page, <laughs> he forgot the kit. Right. So we'd no kit. So we were all there in our shorts and no tops. <laughs> and then we they gave us a kit, and we beat them wearing their jerseys. Oh, right. oh I stopped. It was, it was mental. And we were playing in this park, and there's like dog shit everywhere, and it's like. Crazy, but the, the laugh we had, the camaraderie, it was like a family. Like, literally, was like a family. You'd spend your weekend or your week in the club. Like, you'd train on a Monday and Tuesday. Friday night, you'd go up and help out with the kids or you'd do whatever. You know, you'd play on a Saturday. Then you go clubbing, either into Malvern, where there's like this, like, really, like, really, like, kind of country kind of nightclub. It's like, it's the only nightclub in the place. Uh, or you got a train 10 minutes into Worcester. 
and you went to one of the nightclubs there. <laughs> and it was just a brilliant experience, you know, living there, playing rugby with those lads. It was fab. And then I moved to the north and played rugby there as well. And yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, rugby's given me so much. Yeah, and the reason I was asking is I played football most of my life and I still play, although I'm an old fella. But um, the main reason I play is because the camaraderie, the, mm. the, the, the sport is almost secondary, you know, it's just, just great time to be out. It's, it's, yeah. You're, as you say, head to head with somebody, it doesn't matter who it is. It's good fun. You're yeah. doing it. But so, how have you replaced that? How have you replaced the rugby? If you're not playing a I team sport, you haven't. I haven't. Um, I, I ended up rupturing my Achilles tendon. Right. Flying, flying, and uh, I had a full thickness tear. Had an operation to repair it. And uh, there was a post surgical infection. And then I had to get four other procedures on the right. leg to remove the infection. And then a suture healed outside the skin. So the whole thing was minging, like it was my leg was just it just looked like a bit of meat that was gone off in the fridge. Do you know what I mean? It even smelt like a bit. Do you know that packet of ham that you forget about? And you're like, what's that smell? And you look in the fridge. That that was my leg. You know, my leg smelt like that. It was minging. But uh, how? So what do you do for? Um, because you know you you obviously know better than anybody else that exercise and yeah. being out there in the air is so good for your head. I couldn't do much because I had to stay off my feet for the last yeah. what. Say eight months. Okay. I've literally only kind of have my legs okay. back the last probably four or five months. You know what I mean? Uh, properly, where I can kind of do a little bit of running mm. and uh, not too much because the physio said if I do too much, it could re rupture. Okay. I don't want that because I don't want to spend the year off my feet again because mm. it was a very difficult mm. time. You know, because you're on your own. There isn't anybody to help you. You know, you've got like you know your leg in a cast. Then you've got your operation. I was spending. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely, yeah, it was the worst injury I've ever had. Okay. Yeah. So, what's uh, your next song you gave me? Um, then we nearly finished. Uh, um, hey, my Bon Iver, or Bon Iver, I don't even know how you pronounce it. Bon Iver, Bon Iver, uh, Holland, he kind of gets quite into it, doesn't he? He, he calls him Bon Iver. Oh, right. Almost <laughs> like some sort of French kind of, you know, fella, you're going to buy a bit of, you know, you know sheepskin off, you know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, like, I just like the song. I waited outside. I took it remote. I wanted a bed. Tell the story or it go. Tell the story or it go. Music I list like I think I've done a lot, I've done a lot of hiking, you know, like getting outdoors more and getting up on the hills and um, did the parade the Greystones walk last week. It was quite nice. Um, it was lovely, do you know what I mean? And, and then and then I got the dart back. Um, so I'm getting out more and want to, you know, build the fitness up. And I'm hoping by hopefully by by the, by the April May time I'm back on the rugby pitch. That's the plan. Thanks. And you might be playing for three minutes today. Oh, stop. <laughs> the man asked me if I wanted to play, the director of rugby. Oh, very good. Yeah, he you says, never do you want to play? We're desperate for props, he said. There you go. Yeah. So, like, just to round it up, I wanted to talk to you about something about social media, right? And i tell you why, because um, um, when I look at your social media posts, some of them uh, have been quite personal messages you put out sometimes, mm. you know, about 
how you feel in that particular moment. And yeah. I, 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 look, the, the reaction you get, you got from me as well. It, it's you know, there seems to be just only one way, and it's, it's encouragement and support. Some days, you know, you put up something and feeling shit or whatever it may be, and and I'm interested in that because first of all, how. Do you, how, how do you find like exposing yourself online? It's one thing to, you and I go for a pint. You tell me how you yeah. feel. I say you and I, or you and your mate. But to to put it out there and there's me that you never met before, and I go, hold on, Nick, you be grand. But yeah. there's also there's always somebody out there that came out with the wrong message at the wrong time, and it might tip you over the edge. You know, if you're at the lower ebb, how do yeah. you deal with all that, and why do you put? Things like that online. Come here, I, I, again, it's all about challenging stigma. Okay. I, it's all about just being honest about yourself. Mm. You know, and for me, I share about how I feel because it's important to talk about how you feel. You know, there's no point in me standing up in front of all these people and going, it's good to talk. You know, if you're feeling down or depressed, don't be afraid to open up. And then I'm at home in the flat thinking, that's a lot of bollocks I'm going to make. Muffle, you know what I mean. It's good to talk. It's good okay. to share. And people, some people will take her up the wrong way, mm-hmm. and each to their own. For me, it's almost like a form of um, it's a form of support. You know, I've met some really amazing people who have supported me over the years via Twitter. And I, and you know, in fact, I remember being in Rome a couple of years ago, and a guy that followed me on Twitter from he's, he's just a rugby fella. Uh, we met in Rome and we had a glass of uh, Prosecco like by the there's a train station near the Colosseum mm-hmm. there's a little tube station mm-hmm. there and there's outside the tube station there's like a little uh, bar yeah. and we met there and um, we ha- we shared a we shared a, like, a, like a bottle of Prosecco and he was like he got really offended then when I went to pay because he was like no 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 you're my guest That's good. you know what I mean so like the, 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 there's a real power on social media. I think social media can be a force for good. It can be negative as well. Some people do call me a dick or they'll yeah, say yeah. You're, you're an attention seeker or yeah, yeah. cop on or whatever like that. But to be fair, they're, they're, they're the, the minority. So you get people who kind of slag you off or the trolls or they're hiding behind a fake account. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, I'm not doing this for public opinion. I'm doing it because I care. Sure. And there's no point in me, and I'll say it again, there's no point in me saying we should talk about how we feel. If you don't talk if about If I'm not talking about how I feel. No, no, and I appreciate that. I was just, as I said, I was very curious about, um, cause, because you've been so open about mental mm. health, and I don't, um, I don't understand it because, thankfully, I haven't had a mental health issue. Yeah. Um, but the more people I talk to, the more I'm trying to understand it. And, and it sometimes can be a very very thin line between feeling great and not feeling great and and you know like you, you were saying but it's good to talk right i have a really good close group of friends and one of them yesterday morning went for a coffee and he said we sat down he says i feel i'm a very low ebb at the moment i need i need a, a hug basically that's how he yeah. put it right and it was great and we got talking we had a coffee went for a run now it doesn't happen every day that somebody no. goes i feel pretty low and and it was lovely to hear now we we need to sort out exactly what low was, um, but uh, that's that's really uh, like what I'm trying to get at is it. Do you have a good group of friends? You can you can do that. Yeah, there's there's a few out there, you know, um, that have been there for me from the start. Yes. Howard, Howard Russell, 
um, Dr. Coop, Dr. Phil Cooper, um, Will Greenwood, Scott Quinn. Like, if I ever need that, like, I can ring these lads up and they'll help. Um, you know, I've got some really good friends in Wales who've, who, who, who've always, um, they've always helped. Um, London, Belfast, Portland. So now it's time to rebuild it. Dublin, yeah, Dublin. I don't know. To be fair, it, it is, I'm not going to lie, two weeks in Dublin and it's lonely. Do you know what I mean? Because sure. I don't know anyone here. Sure. And, you know, I'm not living in Crumlin anymore. You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of like, wow. You Get know, the restart, I'm rebuild. here and I'm, you know, but I'll join a society and university and I'll make some friends. But at the moment, I'm focusing on my studies. Sure. But, uh, Great. Yeah. And tell me something, uh, just to wrap it up, what, um, what, uh, what's the plan for the future? What would you like to, to get out of uh, your near future? You mentioned already a relationship, well, a family and all that. Yeah, Fantastic. I'll graduate from Trinity College Dublin. Yeah, um, that's your key at the moment. Uh, yeah, with a degree in social studies or mental health nursing. That's the, the plan. That's the, the goal. And then hopefully then maybe move into kind of probably policy or, you know, helping kind of shape services and and, uh, and looking at gaps in service provision and and see how we can kind of uh, fill those gaps and meet the immediate needs of the people of not just dublin but ireland you know um and hopefully with the the, the, the knowledge and the skills and the experience that i've picked up with the royal college of psychiatrists the nhs in england and the health education in england you know i'll be able to implement some of those uh no, I think it's great. I mean, the, the whole idea of these conversations is really to get into the the passion of the people I'm talking to, and you're obviously very passionate about it, which is, is fantastic. I mean, with passion, thank you. You can push, you can push all sorts of things. And I always ask everybody for a, a quote or a couple of words of wisdom, anything that gets you up in the morning. Um, before you give me your last song. Oh, I know you. You said in one of the you know, don't stop. You know, just anything at all. Just. You. I think it's okay. We can edit this bit out. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> I know you're sad, so I won't tell you to have a good day. Instead, I advise you simply to have a day. Stay alive, feed yourself well, wear comfortable clothes, and don't give up on yourself just yet. It'll be better soon. Until then, have a day. Wonderful. And we're going to leave it with the tallest man on earth. Why did you pick that song? Um, so oh, yeah. Talisman on Earth is the uh, th- th- that's the artist uh, I think the song's uh, I'm a Stranger Now I'm a Stranger Now yeah. so yeah I'm a Stranger Now I'm back in Dublin <laughs> don't know I haven't a clue um, my mates think I don't sound like I'm from Crumlin they're slagging off my accent they think it's hilarious that I've got a bit of a uh, quieter slower uh, way of speaking they, they, they think you fucking think she's from Dublin for that dope <laughs> and I'm like no I don't like, and, like, I rocked up the other day wearing like red chinos and yeah, you know, I'm a stranger now. So like, it's 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 strange, but it's also wonderful to be back in the, the town I was born in. You know, we better wrap it up. Uh, Mick Finnegan, thanks a million for your time. Really Thank you so it. much. When every wind's an after laugh out here, what language do you dream and when you're drunk, and feel just like a map of where you've been and all the smoke and mirrors you find. If only this one held the answer to the aching of her heart A little drop of poison in the rain A little drop of madness in my heart It's nothing but will nothing grow away 
Look nervously at things that come apart If only this one held the answer to our loneliness and all Through days we love, through days we disappear 